Hello and welcome to the Musty Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Jesus, and I'm joined by my friend and yours, the protagonist. Yes, welcome, protagonist. We are the Musty Collective, creatives on a journey to better storytelling. Thank you for joining us today, even though it's musty in here. <laughs> today, we are going to talk about Tenant, made by none other than Christopher Nolan and actually released in theaters in 2020. Yes, the, the only movie released in theaters, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that. Let's talk about this movie and the state of movie going as well mm. next. Now, let's start the show. Christopher Nolan, Michelle. Your long-lost brother? No. Oh. I just thought with the last name Nolan. No. Okay. Um, well, Christopher Nolan is a famous movie director. He made films like The Dark Knight. The Prestige. The Prestige. I love The Prestige. And he is from the UK, I believe, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think he is. But... Here's the thing. Why did he want Tenant to be released in theaters? There's a lot of articles written about this mm -hmm. because one thing that I didn't realize was going to be a big deal in 2020 with the quarantine was how much it would affect the movie business. Yeah, I didn't really think about that at all, actually, until theaters were like shutting down and news started coming out. Yeah, when the quarantine was first announced... I was thinking, everyone's going to be okay. Movie industry's not going to be hit too hard. Mm -hmm. And I also thought the quarantine would only last for three months. <laughs> I was wrong on both fronts. And the movie industry, especially from the theater standpoint, has been decimated. Yes. And so Christopher Nolan was deemed as the savior of movie theaters. If you remember early on in the quarantine, there was a movie released by Universal Studios called Trolls World Tour, which we keep saying we're going to watch. We haven't watched yet, so maybe hopefully over the Super Bowl weekend we will get to it. Yeah. But the thing is, is that Universal put that movie directly to VOD release and apparently by their own accord mm -hmm. made $75 plus million. Like it was, it was a big movie. It made money for them. Yes. And AMC was pissed. <laughs> and so there's all this fighting, but... Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan, who have been partners for a long time, Christopher Nolan was like, we have to save movie theaters. Mm -hmm. And so in this first, we're going to go through a couple of news pieces before we get really into Tenet. But uh, this first news piece comes from Screen Rat. And it's essentially about how Christopher Nolan and James Cameron sent a letter to Congress to save the theaters. Hmm. Yeah, so just a couple points here, right? A letter signed by several prominent filmmakers, including Christopher Nolan and James Cameron, is they were urging Congress to help save America's struggling movie theaters. Now, do you think this is a worthy cause, Michelle? As a filmmaker, I would say yes. But yeah. also, it, it's kind of hard because um, just the whole idea of like trying to keep everyone safe and you don't want a bunch of people to die just so that you could have your movie shown. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's kind of it was a hard thing, but I can see like there's like thousands, there's probably millions, thousands of millions of people um, who work in the film industry. And for them to not work, that's like a huge part of the population. So, yeah, that's very true. And I really miss movie theater experience. I love watching great movies in there. Like I still remember watching Dunkirk, which is a Christopher Nolan film or 1917, not a Nolan film, but a really great film mm -hmm. or The Dark Knight. Amazing film in the theater. All right, so continuing on in this article, it also mentions an excerpt. We have an excerpt from the letter that they sent, and it has this. I took this one small quote here. It says here, the movie-going experience is central to American life. I think that's very true. Like, our whole culture is really, like, not surrounded by the movie theaters, but it, the movie theater experience is a big part of it. 
268 million people in North America went to the movies last year to laugh, cry, dream, and be moved together. I don't know if that number is factual. I'm just quoting the letter. <laughs> Theaters are great unifiers where our nation's most talented storytellers showcase their cinematic accomplishments. I just like that quote because... One, it shows obviously the gravity of the movie theater going away. Yeah. Even though people have hinted at the movie theater business going away because of declining profits, because of the you know the increase in ticket sales, um, how it's become really expensive for the modern day family to go to the movie theaters as much as they need to to support the movie theater business. Anyways, I liked it because it's so true. I think that you could go. Watch a film and be on completely different sides of the aisle, politically speaking. Mm -hmm. But you can be overwhelmed with joy and get the same kind of things out of a story. Like I look at Star Wars and there's people who are Trump supporters who are big Star Wars fans and get the same things um, out of Star Wars storytelling that I do who's not a Trump supporter. I just think that's very interesting. Yeah, and you're all rooting for the same person to win, which was not the case for the election. Yeah, but it's just more about it's more than just rooting. It's just the idea that the stories unify us mm -hmm. on principles about respect and kindness yeah. and love and dignity and all those kind of things, right? The so the article continues, the act of show of solidarity among so many prestigious filmmakers is an encouraging sign. Now this was this was written back I think in August or September of 2020. So obviously some things happened, but only time will tell if it's enough to save the American movie theater. And then I have the last little part here you want to read that last part, this, what it says? But the film barely broke $41 million domestically after its fourth weekend. Yeah, it's actually pretty crazy, right? So after four weeks, it didn't even make $50 million in the U.S. So you're saying that Trolls made twice as much? Well, we're talking about domestically speaking. So okay. yes, if those numbers were domestic, yes, then it made more than twice as much, yeah. On VOD release. Mm. But again, that's because people are scared to go to the theater. And it was, a, you know, we'll get into it. The What, you know, what Tenet was as a movie. But also some analysts broke it down. And since theaters were also giving back 63% of their profits back to Warner Brothers Studios. Like, movie theaters were making pennies. And they really couldn't even support, you know, keeping their businesses open. Yeah. Which is crazy. And they're going to do, they're doing limited capacity. Because obviously they couldn't have people sit right next to each other. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty wild. Uh, the next article is from Forbes. Uh, it talks about that uh, one point here that the theaters that reopened in America will now have to somehow somehow survive on a single underwhelming temple. Again, this was written back in the fall. And then whether Chris Nolan really pressured Warner Brothers to release Tenet by summer's end or whether the AT&T-owned company merely used him as an alibi... The result may be the same. Chris Nolan's Tenet, the movie that was supposed to quote-unquote save theaters, directed by cinema's self-proclaimed champion, may be the very thing that dooms them because of the financials that each movie theater are getting back from the movie. Hmm. Right? So they're trying to get a little bit from like New Mutants, which also released around the same time. They're trying yeah. to get a little bit out of Tenet. They're trying mm -hmm. to get a little bit out of it. like any movie they can get in the theater. <laughs> they're trying to like scrape on by so they can pay their employees and pay <sighs> the like the lights. You That's know? tough. Yeah, I feel really bad. Like doing this research, I was like, man, I feel really bad for movie theaters. Mm -hmm. And then uh, let's see here. One last part here from this article from Forbes. The issue isn't that just that Tenet is underperforming theatrically. Or that the willfully cryptic and cold puzzle box <laughs> with intentionally hard-to-hear dialogue and a narrative that almost requires multiple viewings may have been the wrong movie for welcoming nervous moviegoers back to the theaters. Again, this is not us reviewing the film. This is just us. Like, this is a quote from Forbes and this mm -hmm. person, this author. But I think after watching the movie twice and then going back and doing research, like, I kind of understand where this person is coming from. Yes. The problem is that Tenet so underperformed in, in its American debut that Wonder Woman 1984 fled to Christmas while Candyman, which is also Warner Brothers, that, that horror film from Jordan Peele, fled to sometime next year. Theaters that reopened are now left with a single underperforming temple at least until November. Mm. So, like, it's it was really tough for movie, girls, movie theaters because, yeah, we thought we're going to get Wonder Woman, but then it went straight to HBO Max. And Candyman, which I wasn't looking forward to, but a lot of people were. Yeah. That went to next year. So they didn't have... And then Black Widow 
is not is coming out this year and and so it got moved no time to die the bond film that didn't get released either so like movie movie owners are like left with nothing really <laughs> oh that's so sad yeah i'm trying to give this whole context to yeah to Tenet. yeah it was a big mess i mean just the fact that there's there were all these struggles going on of like how the movie should be shown and um him really wanting it to be shown in theaters but then the struggle of like just the audience not wanting to actually go to the theater Right. I, I remember, like, also when um, Onward was going to be streamed on Disney+. Plus, yeah. And everybody was, that I knew, at least, was, like, so happy about it because they had wanted to see it. And they were... Only a couple of my friends actually saw it in theaters. Right. So, um, yeah, it was just... it's It was a weird time. People were still trying to figure out life at that moment. So, on top of that, just trying to show your movie in a theater. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, my last article here gives us the end of what might be the whole drama between Chris Nolan and Warner Brothers and Tenant and all this. Apparently, I think this was released, I forget, a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago. But according to Cinema Blend, Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan have been a hot Hollywood item for nearly two decades now, as all of the filmmakers' movies since Insomnia have been distributed by the studio. But it looks like they're going to split. Nolan, a big fan of the, the theatrical experience, was adamant that Tenet not be sent to VOD, Video On Demand. Then came, but that's how we bought it, actually. So that's how we saw it. <laughs> then came December 2020, where things got really heated between Christopher Nolan and Warner Brothers. After Warner Media announced that WB's 2021 movies would be available on HBO Max for a one-month period, starting the same day each respective movie premiered in theaters, Nolan not only expressed disappointment that Warner that WB did not inform its filmmakers ahead of time about this release plan, but also simply criticized the plan in general, saying it was a poor economic move. He even went so far as to call HBO Max the worst streaming service oh snap yeah so like if people don't understand this like this is essentially what studios are doing now it's kind of like going back to the old days where studios were linked directly to creators it kind of got mixed up where in the 80s and 90s you had powerful creators like james cameron and Steven Spielberg, who didn't have to be tied to a specific studio. Mm -hmm. But now, because of the strength of Marvel, MCU, and what they're doing over there, studios like Warner Brothers, who have to compete with Disney directly, have been trying to snatch up, like, directors. Yeah. And so, you know, having someone like Chris Nolan under your belt is huge for the bottom line of WB. And that's why they're, you know, they're trying to snatch up J.J. Abrams. That's why they try to snatch up all these other directors. Mm -hmm. So they can fight against or just compete yeah. with what Marvel's doing um with you know Disney. yeah with Disney and their people right mm -hmm. so Kathleen Kennedy Lucasfilm and, and Star Wars if Marvel were to lose like Kevin Feige per se mm -hmm. or James Gunn which they almost did because of the controversy yes. two years ago <laughs> right if they were to lose James Gunn as far as to make Marvel films Right, that would be like on the same level, or or Kevin Feige on the same level. Because remember, mm -hmm. Nolan brings in billion dollar films, which is what Warner yeah. Brothers needs to compete with Disney, who has Kevin Feige and Star Wars and Kathleen Kennedy to bring mm -hmm. in billion dollar films. Right, it's like on the level of that, losing someone on that level. So it's it's pretty 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 epic. And so yeah, taking all this into account, it's understandable why Christopher Nolan is reportedly. Cutting ties with Warner Brothers. So that's the whole context for what's been happening with Tenet's release and Chris Chris Nolan's relationship with Warner Brothers. That's kind of sad, though, because they were working together for so long. And now it's just... Ugh. But this is the hill that he wants to die on, apparently, which is... <laughs> you must release my films to the theaters. Well, he was... He was... He's very old school in a lot of ways. Like, filming on film. Right. And, like, just, yeah, the, the way that he does things is very old school. So it makes sense that he chose that hill. Yeah. No, it, it does. It does.
saw this episode, and you're like, oh, great, they're going to explain the whole thing about what Tenet was about, the story, and, and what Tenet means. Um, that's not what we came here for, because we still don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, we just came to tell you some basic stuff. And but, yeah, we yeah. wanted to talk about like our initial reaction to the yes. characters and the story arc and the things that we did understand about it. Because yes. it's a very complicated movie, and there's plenty of YouTube videos that explain it. But that's that. I feel like that would be a waste of our time. So, right. So I yeah. If you want a full explanation of the timeline for Tenet, uh, actually the move the video I would go check out would be New Rockstars video on YouTube, so it's new and then space rock stars. Tenet explained full movie timeline and final scene breakdown. So he actually does a great job breaking it down and has some awesome little tidbits and spoilers and and kind of interesting, you know, facts that maybe you didn't think about before mm-hmm. about the three main or the four main characters, which would be protagonist, Neil, Cat, and Sater. So yeah. I would definitely check that out. Mm-hmm. All right, so for us, let's. Yes. What what do we want to talk about here, Michelle? Um. Okay. The first thing I'd like to talk about was just the chemistry between the different characters because I thought that was kind of interesting. Yes. It was a hit and miss, I yeah. would say. Yeah, definitely. Chemistry that I was the most excited about, which I feel kind of fell flat, was the three guys: protagonist Mahir and Twilight. Yeah, so she's calling Neil, who's Robert Pattinson. Twilight. Twilight. And to be fair, this was the first time I saw Robertson, Robert Pattinson act outside of Twilight, to be honest, for me. That is true. I've never seen him outside of Twilight. I've actually never seen him act before because I've actually never seen Twilight. But I'm going to call him Twilight. You've never seen Twilight? I've never seen Twilight. That's a shame. Is it? It is. Hmm. Well, anyway, I thought I would really love to see a movie where it is those three together doing a whole, like, I don't know, either heist movie or some kind of, like, action-adventure comedy kind of thing. Because I felt like they all had really different personality types, and it was a really cool combination. And just the fact that we didn't see them all three together that much and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was kind of disappointing to me. Yeah, um, I mean, they, they look good together. I thought their dialogue and chemistry was really good together. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the, the next group here. So, um, Or really the next pair. No chemistry between protagonist and the girl or, or cat. Mm-hmm. And this is something that if you thought it was going to be any kind of good romance. It was not. Now, yeah. I'm not saying it had to be sexual. I'm actually glad it didn't get there at all. It was actually mm-hmm. really good. It was still intense without having to get sexual, which yeah. is nice, or sexually explicit. But what I liked is, what I what was unfortunate is I didn't believe in any of the supposed romance between those two characters. <laughs> I I felt that John David Washington's character had some kind of affection for Kat. Mm-hmm. I did not feel like it was reciprocated back. Yeah, I feel like she could care less about him. But She I, really cared about her son, Max. Yeah, and I think just, I think his relationship to her was that he was sympathizing with her and her son, and he realized how much of a jerk Sater was. Right. And he wanted to get her out of the situation because he felt like she didn't deserve to be there. True. Um, But, yeah, like, her feelings towards him, it was kind of like, are you going to save me or not kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do appreciate, though, that Christopher Nolan, because he also directed and wrote this movie, that he also did it like that because it also kind of feels like in films like this when a guy does something great for a woman it's like well she has to like do something for him Mm. and that was not the case in this in this movie so it is a letdown but again if you could do something more like you know star wars i always got the star wars for some reason (laughs) but star wars and the empire strikes back between han and leia Uh 
then if you had something that was more akin to that kind of romance, yeah, where you you can feel something, but you, nothing has to happen, mm-hmm. and it's not because I feel guilty or anything like that. It's like pure attraction, affection. Yeah, it, it I think that could be better. I think there's ways you could do it. Mm-hmm. I think there's ways you could do. It. I always again always look at things like Roman Holiday, perfect example of a love story that did not get hot and heavy, but you felt the tension. Yeah. The best chemistry. The best chemistry, <laughs> which is sad because the best chemistry was the abusive relationship. It was with Seder and Kat and yeah. um, just the amount of emotion that was shown to just demonstrate how scared she was of him and how evil he was towards her. And... Well, how jealous and controlling he yes. was. Yeah. I think that showed the most and... I don't know if that was what he wanted to do. Like, he wanted to... Christopher Nolan wanted that really to stand out, so he kind of subdued the other relationships, maybe. So when that part came, it was really shocking. Yeah, it's just... It's just... It was hard. Like, you understood Kat's motivation for leaving Seder. You understood Seder's motivation for keeping her. Mm -hmm. But I didn't quite understand John David Washington's motivation for helping her. Besides the idea, like you said, just being altruistic and saying, hey, you know, she looks like she's in a bad situation. Mm -hmm. I have my mission to do, but I want to make sure she's safe. It just didn't come off uh, across as best. But Sater and Kat, wow. The most realistic relationship in the entire movie. Mm -hmm. Crazy, crazy. Kenneth Brognan, I think that's how you say his name, or Bragnan, did a great performance as yeah. Seder, he was despicable. I hated him. I'm glad <laughs> that when Kat killed him, she killed him. Mm-hmm. Like, and and then I thought her growth, the first time she put a, pulled a gun on him, she couldn't do it. The second time, she was able to do it. Yeah. Speaking of first and second time, we watched this film the first time. And... Yeah. So our, <laughs> our initial reaction to this was, yes. the first time was, I don't get this film. The whole way through, we were like, "What did they say? I couldn't hear that." Wait, what is happening? So, so I would if you're the main thing is I will say this, and and that's why I like to give all this context for the theater stuff. To me, this movie was not meant to be watched in theaters, because if you watched it in a theater, you would not understand it, and you would be pissed. Like I was <laughs> pissed, but I'm glad I bought it because then I we immediately started rewatching it with closed captioning. With closed captioning. If you have closed captioning, you can start to understand what's happening. And then you can start being like, oh, <laughs> I get it. And it's actually good. Yeah. To me, when I first watched it, I thought it was a bad movie. Straight up. Mm-hmm. I was like, what happened to Christopher Nolan? <laughs> but after re-watching it with the, the captions on, mm-hmm. I was like, this is a good movie. Yeah. Not great. I still think Inception and The Dark Knight are probably his best films, but I need to rewatch The Prestige. I know you really love The Prestige. Mm-hmm. I thought, now I think it's a good film. And I actually am really interested in how the film sets up the world for maybe a sequel or a prequel. All the extra ties are going on. I actually thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah. And all the heist parts were actually really great. Yeah, no, the action was amazing. Um, and the special effects were great, especially when everything was inverted and going backwards. Um, yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it's just interesting. <laughs> Dialogue is so important. And if you can't hear it, um, you need to maybe remix that thing. Yeah, like, it just felt like actors were talking too fast or they were talking too low. Mm-hmm. Or the music was too loud. The music was too loud to understand some things. And they had a, they did this, the film suffered from a lot of exposition in the sense of, yeah, like they had to have scenes where people were just walking and expositing <laughs> so they could get you to understand a little bit of what's happening. Yeah. But again, action scenes were amazing. All the high stuff from like the Oslo free ports, that, that action scene was awesome. Mm-hmm. Then like, Getting into Priya's house was awesome. Like how they jumped, like Bungie jumped into the house, mm-hmm. the apartment. Uh, you know, the the part where they stole the plutonium 241 was cool. The The final battle was awesome too. It just felt a little fake because you didn't really see them really fighting the antagonists. But mm-hmm. it was still really cool yeah. how everything was set up. Yeah, so all that action was amazing. 
but I didn't really understand the context for all it was. John David Washington's part where he fought um, Sater's guys when he first met up with Cat. Amazing fight scene. Mm-hmm. But it was really hard to understand the motivations for characters the first time through. And yeah. Neil is actually the second time through. It was like, Neil's actually a really important character. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, like, you know what? Robert Pattinson's not doing a good job. <laughs> this is not a good character. Why is he even here? And then you watch it again. And, you, well, you get to the ending. And you're like, oh, he's really important. But then, you know, then you rewatch it. It's like, wow, he's really important. Yeah. But the film really didn't highlight it. I was like, I didn't know what was going on, man. It kind of did. It's just. We couldn't hear the dialogue, so we didn't connect anything. I yeah. didn't like literally the first time I saw it. I couldn't. I could barely hear anything, and yep. we were using pretty good speakers to like yeah. hear it. Yep. Um, and I totally missed the whole backstory for Cat's picture and yes. all that stuff. Arepo. Like why that was so important to her, and and how he was using it to blackmail her and threaten yeah. her and stuff. I totally missed that. Yeah, I mean that's something we can explain because we actually understand this now, right? So, yeah. Sater uses this painting that it's obvious, obviously a fake, mm-hmm. but his wife who had something going on with the repo, this other mm-hmm. guy, but she didn't sleep with him, but it looked like they were having an affair. Yes. So, Sater is like super jealous and Arepo has these paintings, these two paintings that are obviously fake. But Cat, who's like an artist, like a like a like a, a person who's supposed to like validate art, mm-hmm. she actually validates it as real, and then it's sold to her husband. So she he keeps the one that he sold, and then killed off or you know brutally messed up Arepo. But he keeps one that he sold so that if she ever turns on him or tries to leave or tries to get the son Max from him, then he will just like like show the world that she's a fake. She'll lose her reputation. She'll lose any kind of like she'll she'll probably get put into jail. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things that are yeah. terrible for her. So mm-hmm. that part is so important because now you understand why she can't get out. Because mm-hmm. I'm just saying, girl, just leave. <laughs> but it's so much more than that. You're right. You're right. And so um, just going through the <laughs> the protagonist's kind of story arc. Right. Um, but there is a three-act structure to this film. As, com- yes. as complicated as it is, there is a three legitimate three-act structure in this film. Yes. And the protagonist, who is named Protagonist. That's it. That's all he gets. <laughs> Which, to me, I, I know they use it in the film like, well, I'm the, fesh, the face-fresh protagonist. Oh, do you think you're the protagonist to save the world? Mm-hmm. You're a protagonist. Like, we get it. <laughs> but give him a proper name. You give everybody else a proper name. You don't. You don't like name cat love interest. You don't name Neil side, you know side character. Or Twilight. <laughs> or Twilight. <laughs> right, so. Like you, you know you don't make, you don't name Sater and mm-hmm. like villain. Like yeah. I don't know. That'd be an interesting film though. They they do have the inverted's name as antagonist, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Even the military people use it that way. So. Yeah, that's true. structure so the first act includes the inciting incident um, which we believe is the protagonist taking the suicide pill which yep. turns out to not be a suicide pill yeah because again the with the inciting incident and it can happen anywhere within the first act it can happen really late like 15 minutes in 20 minutes in um, or it happened really early. I think this after the opera scene, it was like five, six, seven minutes in. Yeah. He takes a suicide pill. It's a, it's a point of no return. Mm-hmm. He kills himself, or he thinks he kills himself willingly. Mm-hmm. And then it leads to the second act. Um, the climax of the second act is when the protagonist becomes inverted and the interrogation scene where Sater shoots cats and the also, the plutonium robbery scene. Right. It, it, it's like a combination of a couple of scenes. Yeah. But, you know, after the inciting incident and the end of the first act, after the point of no return, he's given this, like, very crazy information. 
right? He's given information that he didn't actually die, right? That's like the immediate shock that you see, which is which is pretty nuts. I the only thing I will say is that this is why trailers suck. <laughs> that would have been something cool to be like, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. But you if you watch one of the trailers once or twice, you kind of knew that already going in. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, guys, stop showing stuff in the trailers. I know it's it can't, I don't like know. you're Christopher Nolan. The movie's called Tenant. There's some weird time stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't need any more marketing for for us to be like, I'm gonna go watch that. <laughs> like I was gonna go watch it. Like chill. Yeah. All right. So yeah, this like Michelle said, the second act climax has the plutonium robbery and also the inverted interrogation, and then him getting out and and becoming inverted. And then trying to find a way to save Cat. So it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Those three scenes together, that's when you start to finally figure stuff out. And if it's your first run, if it's your first watch. Yeah. And, but the inverted interrogation still confuses me. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't, I still don't get it. I, I don't have an answer. Um, but I, I think it. You're does... supposed to have all the answers, Michelle. Oh, I have failed. It's okay. You didn't fail. Oh, thank you. Well, a- anyway, <laughs> I was um, I was just thinking like that scene when he's explaining what to expect when you are becoming inverted. Um, it really gives you sort of a more personal viewpoint of what the other people were going through and what they did. Um, and then you also just find out that the protagonist was the person that he was fighting. In the Oslo Freeport scene. Yes. Yeah. So you you start uncovering a lot of stuff as he's inverted, um, which I thought was really interesting. And it's cool because it's kind of going through... It's going through territory you you've already been through, so you already know the details of what's the backstory happening in those scenes, and so it's kind of just fitting in that extra puzzle piece of like, okay, this is who this was the whole time. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, and so definitely one thing that helps to understand this is one rule, and this you know we we picked this up before watching the YouTube video, but the one <laughs> one rule for sure I, I get is anything that you write down or store digitally, that's going to be used as a way to communicate with the future. It obviously depends if the future communicates back, mm-hmm. but that's used as a rule for understanding how Seder gets his weapons or gets his gold yeah. or how Cat gets def- you know, um, gets protected at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So we that was one cool thing. I will say one rule that learned from the YouTube video that really helped me understand things is that when you get inverted, there's actually three of you um, so there's like the present you, and then there's like the two that come out of the in, like the turnstile, which is the way they get inverted. And so there's the one that gets inverted and the one that's not inverted. So, whew, it's crazy. But the third act climax: Cat kills Sater on the yacht, and protagonist is underground attempting to prevent the bomb from the bomb from detonating with the algorithm intact. Yes. So they pulled in the the algorithm out, mm-hmm. and that doesn't seal it so that the people in the future can't get it because the original person, scientist, lady who created the algorithm, went back, inverted herself, and then separated into like nine parts of the world and then killed herself to hide it. Mm-hmm. And so now the people who want to kill the past, and that's okay, we haven't even said that part. <laughs> We'll want, get to it. Yeah, they want the bomb to go off to seal the algorithm deep in the cavern so they can pick it up in the future mm-hmm. and then send stuff back to then destroy the past. Yeah. It's 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 crazy. Very complicated. And yeah. then there's the little bonus, which I, I feel like it's a little bonus to films when they add this because it kind of helps you to relax afterwards. The denouement. The denouement. The denouement. So Frenchy sounding. It is. Um, So we... We believe, I mean, there's no other option for this, but <laughs> the denouement is the talk between Twilight and protagonist, and then also protagonist killing Priya in the car before she kills Cat, And then um, protagonist 
also has it shows that protagonist has a whole new future with Neil fighting against the evil that the world is going to face and prevent the future generation from trying to kill them. And they call it like tying up loose ends. So that that's kind of like the whole basis for the the denouement at the end. Yeah. And and again, that rule of when you get inverted as three of you is super key because that's how Neil is able to take the bullet for the protagonist at the very end that like Volkov uh, the the Russian guard shoots, but then that soldier in the blue takes a bullet so the protagonist can then finish him off. But then Neil also is a person who is not inverted, who gets to like drive to the hole to throw down the latch or, or the netting so they can pick up the algorithm before the detonation happens. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, it's... Ugh. It's crazy, but that that rule is very very key. Yeah. So, how does the movie actually explain the word tenet? Yeah, and so tenet obviously is a definition about like religious belief, like something that you like a practice that you would hold to, like the tenets of a belief system, like a philosophy, or or belief system, religion, philosophy, ideology. It's just something a practice that you hold on to, right? So. It's interesting because the word is a palindrome, and a palindrome is you know means that it's a word that can be spelled backwards and forwards the same exact way, and that was interesting because I I was immediately thinking that because as a software engineer, palindromes come up in interview tests, uh, in in technical interviews where you actually actually where you actually have to create an algorithm to solve for palindromes in whatever language you're using. So that was kind of clear to me from the beginning. But what's not clear is that the movie doesn't actually directly explain Tenet in the movie. So in a lot of ways, Tenet is also a palindrome in the sense of the characters are working their way back from the midway point. So it's kind of like the characters are going back and forth. And it shows multiple scenes of characters going backwards and forwards, which shows the palindromeness of the movie's title within the very movie itself. Without explaining it directly to the audience, yeah. So that, that sounds very confusing. <laughs> it, it it is confusing, but yeah, that that's that's essentially what it is. And so the movie explains tenant its meaning of tenant by the action, which I actually thought was very clever and well written. It wasn't like one of those times where, well, we call we have our religious practices, and we call them tenants, and that's why we named this movement that goes against the future tenant. You know, we were looking for that, but it wasn't in there. And that that actually was a good thing. But now that we understand that meaning, do you think that was a good word for the title of the movie? Yeah, I do. I mean, it makes sense, the sort of meaning of it, plus it's palindromeness. Yes. I think, I think it, it's, it has multiple meanings, which is always pretty cool when you can find a title like that. Yeah. Another, another major point in this movie is time inversion, right? So what is time inversion? Essentially, it's like the whole reason why you have this movie. And it's essentially – I keep saying essentially a lot, but it's, it's essentially – Basically. Basically, primarily – I'm forgetting the name for this. Entropy? No, it's mm-hmm. about going back in time. It's time travel? It's time travel. There we go. So time inversion is Christopher Nolan's way of saying time travel. But it's inverted and so when you go backwards in time, you have to use the same amount of time hmm. that you want to go back in the past as t- as t- your time that you're being inverted. Something like that in your transition. So if you want to go back a week, you have to travel for a week. Really? That's how that's how it works. Oh. Because you can see this when so Kat gets injured in the inverted interrogation. So they bring her from the inverted time into the real life time where she's gonna die in three hours. So they take her back and invert her in the turnstile so that she has a chance to live. Hmm. 
And so they say, okay, we're going to take her. Like once, once John David Washington goes out and then comes back, he gets saved by Ives and, and by Neil and the team. They are on a ship on, that's going to take like a week's travel mm-hmm. back to the Oslo Freeport. And they're they're inverted, and so they're traveling seven days. So that's going to give them the seven days backwards in time thing. Mm-hmm. So they can be at the exact same spot when the Oslo Freeport incident happens. Okay. But but it's but they're but you can but you also get this by the dialogue where the soldiers with eyes say, "Oh, it'll take her about four to five days a week tops to recover from the gunshot wound because she was shot with an inverted bullet." which is going back and forth in time, so it's, like, more devastating than a regular bullet shot wound. Anyways, that's how you can tell. So that's time inversion, and that's why it's time travel, but it's different. Time travel, like, back to the future is instant. You go 88 miles per hour in in the car, and you're instantly back in time or forwards in time. But time mm-hmm. inversion means if you want to go forward or backward, you have to actually spend that amount of time to get there. Yeah, and then they say it's a type of inverse radiation triggered by nuclear fission. I feel like I was a freshman in college and I accidentally registered for a senior level class and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, it, it essentially takes the ideas of entropy, which is the way I studied in college was the idea that entropy is how you watch disorder happen over, over time. So the basic idea of the universe that we see it organized now, but it's slowly becoming more and more disorganized and slowly essentially becoming more and more disorderly, where eventually we will not have our existence anymore. But what they're talking about is more about the idea of entropy within elements (laughs) with the radiation Entropy, I don't know. I'm, I guess we got to stop. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, all right. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so the theme. Anyway, yeah, but entropy runs backwards, and that's what they're talking about. Yes. Let's just keep it that simple. So yes. inverse radiation triggered by nuclear fission. Yes. Whew. All right. Dang. So, okay, so the theme of this film. What is the theme of this film, Michelle? So as Twilight said, What's happened? Hap. What's happened? Happened. What's what's wait what? <laughs> I confused myself. What's happened? Happened. It's an expression of faith in the mechanics of the world. It's not an excuse for doing nothing, which is interesting. Right, but you know, it happens around one hour and twenty nine minutes in. The protagonist says, what do you believe? And then Neil says, well, what's happened happened. Yes. Right? It's something Neil keeps saying, which is annoying to the protagonist. And, but yeah, you, you want to hit on that more with the full-on statement, though. It's not an excuse. I think it's interesting to, like, this whole film is about going back in time to change things. But in a way, it's like they can't fundamentally change what has happened because it's what's happened has happened what what has happened has happened or what's happens what's happens <laughs> happened what's happens that's literally what he says it's like what's happens what's happens happened but he says in like a very what quick what happens happened no it, it this the closed captioning <laughs> captioning says what's happens <laughs> happened what the heck? Word for word. Okay. That's what, that's what it says. What, okay, so anyway, what's happened happened. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of confusing in a way because it's like they are going back to change things. But at the same time, they're really not changing things. They're just changing like little details about stuff. Or is it that they're putting it back to where it was before the future came and tried to change it. So, again, this is where the beauty of YouTube and the new Rockstars video does such a great job to explain this because, just like you, I don't know either. But new Rockstars explain it in the sense of this is like one of those time travel stories where it's already happened. You just have to do the things that you have to do. Hmm. So, like... Essentially for, I said essentially again, mercy. (laughs) 
the Terminator trilogy, when the Terminator gets sent back, all the events that happen have already happened. And as long as the Terminator does what the Terminator is supposed to do, then everything will work out in the end and humans will be freed from the domination of robots in the future. Mm -hmm. But you have to do what you got to do. So Neil, which you've become such an important character, as long as he does what he does, as long as he goes and gets inverted and, and takes the bullet for the protagonist and pulls him out of the pit before the detonation of the bomb goes off and you know shows up in Mumbai to act like he's a dumb rookie and you know all the and and doesn't and doesn't kill the protagonist in the Oslo Freeport who's dressed in camouflage like as long as he does all those things right then he has done his job and what has happened will just happen Mm-hmm. it's really confusing. But yeah, you're right. They're not changing history. They're actually just... Creating it? I would say applying it, but maybe creating is better. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... I, I, I do say I do want to say, though, like the, I've never had a movie where I immediately said, I need to rewatch it right now. Like, well, I Soul, I kind of did a little bit. That's just because you wanted to enjoy it again. I wanted to enjoy it again. But I really wanted to figure out this film. So I give I give Christopher Nolan credit for giving me a mental exercise for this past week. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> yes. Um, so another, the, well, I guess the last thing I kind of wanted to bring up was there's this whole war going on between the future and the past. Um, the future, they are trying to stop the past from being destructive and ultimately destroying the future for their descendants. And so the idea that our future becomes so bad that our descendants would want to destroy us is really sad. Yeah, but I really like that world building. I mean, it's a great story, but just in reality, I mean, that's what we're doing. Yes, because, yeah, the film at the end, Seder kind of gives a whole resolution, again, exposition. Like, why why are they doing this? It's like, yes, the future is mad at us because of essentially climate change mm-hmm. global climate change where you know the rivers run dry and the seas rise so essentially we've destroyed the earth so bad that the future's like hey we have to destroy our past to keep them from destroying our future yeah and it 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 leaves you with a question of would you destroy the past to save your present hmm. and it's very and that's that is at the crux of a lot of these time travel stories Especially like Terminator, right? The Back whole, to the future. Back to the future a little bit. And and yeah, just the whole idea of like, would I destroy the past? Not just change it, but destroy it. Yeah, one thing that they were talking about, or there's a line that the protagonist has in the film. He's saying like, every generation is looking out for its own survival. Yep, so it's yep, kind yep. of like... It's kind of like, would you want your ancestors to have a great time and then know that your life is going to suck or you want to flip it around and just, like, take care of your own self? Which is, I mean, it's kind of like how the whole mess started in the first place is because we're all looking for these temporary fixes to problems and we're not thinking of the long-term cause and effect of it. And we're so focused on just the here and now that we really aren't focusing on the future generations and how our decisions are going to affect them. So I think it's kind of crazy. This is all true. Michelle's correct. And to end on that note, that is our talk on Tenet. (laughs) And it's honestly left me exhausted. (laughs) I'm going to rewatch this film probably one more time (laughs) just to get, just to try to understand more because I'm still confused by that. Like I said, that inverted interrogation scene, it still mm-hmm. confuses me. Yeah. And there are some really cool world building ideas. If there was a, if there was a sequel made on this, I would be very excited to watch it. Yeah, they obviously could make a sequel. They've set it up for one. Um and I would I would watch it. Yeah, I would. I would not watch it in the theater because <laughs> I would probably want to have to see it another time and I don't want to pay 
another pair of movie tickets for it. Yeah. But props to Christopher Nolan for making the most convoluted story <laughs> that sort of makes sense in movie form that I've ever ever seen. And I thought inter- I thought not Interstellar. I thought Inception was hard to understand. Yeah. This is harder to understand. Mm-hmm. So woo. On next week's episode, we begin our special two-part series. We are going to write our own, our very own original short stories and also discuss the new Zizzle writing competition, right? So Zizzle has a short story competition and short stories are due in about a month and a half. So we're going to go through our process, go through some of their prompts and create some short stories that we can send off to this short story competition. One of our goals this year is to actually put some of our writing into competition, not because we want glory for ourselves, but just to see, hey, do other people think our stories are great? <laughs> we think our stories are great, but we just want to try it out. And if you want to join us for that journey, you definitely can. So listen to next week's episode. And if you want to be featured as a guest on our show, email us at themustycreative at gmail.com and tell us your story. Thanks to our monthly supporters for helping us make this episode of the Musty Creative Podcast possible. If you would like to become a financial supporter of us and the show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mustycreative and help us make the show even better. Woo-woo! And thank you. Thank you so much to our, our supporters. That's all we have time for. Remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And now... It's time to shower up. Give them a satisfaction they couldn't get any other way.